the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track in your browser. Register for 40% off that first year. Download the app, personalize it, tell them who you love. It's all brand new. It's a great newsletter, great set of podcasts. There's plenty to do at The Athletic. Start today at theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Gennetti. A little bit of football, a little bit of baseball, a lot of bit of baseball. Cousin Dan joins me at the back end of this show to talk about baseball's new rules, and they're great. And some were uh, sneaky good, some were a little scary. The, the combination of all of them together, starting in 2023, is probably my most terrifying <laughs> pull away from this entire thing. But Dan and I really dive deep into a couple of these new changes that really aren't just going to change the gameplay, but they're going to change the way that teams construct their rosters immediately, starting this winter. So... Pretty good discussion with Dan in terms of that in just a few minutes. But I want to open with roster bubbles in the NFL. Sounds crazy, right? Because we just got this thing off the floor in 2022. I think there's a couple of teams that like to (laughs) put a couple of players in the bubble right now, even though that's not viable for the next couple of weeks. But I'm looking at 2023. I've done it. It's on spotrack.com. Every position group has, I don't know, eight to 10 players at least, notable names, veterans with decent contracts that either the contract says it's probably time, the production on the field over the past few months says it might be time, or just flat out, it's a bad fit. You know, there's, there's a rookie that's been drafted who's going to take that spot. There's a, there's a lot of reasons why players get put on the bubble. It's not always that specific player's fault. Sometimes it's just the contract says it's time. And uh, I want to run through a, a few of those names in terms of each position group here just to start and just to kind of tease this piece. Because this is the piece that I referred to and then version about six more times here between now and March 15th, 2023. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a real surfacey look right now. So if I'm thinking quarterbacks, I've got Ryan Tannehill, who's kind of a slam dunk for this. I, do I think he could be the quarterback for the Titans next year? Sure. He's got contract left uh, through next year. Do I think he's going to be? No, I don't. Uh, whether that's Malik Willis, whether that's... A, free, a big free agent splash, whether that's, you know, they go back into this draft because they went 2-15 this year. The contract says they're going to save $27 million a cap and get the hell out of here. So for now, all those things considered, there's like four reasons to have him on this list. But then I've also got Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston, who had two, you know, basically two or three years left in their current contracts, are the current starting cornerbacks. And I'll throw up Trubisky in this group as well. You know, they can play themselves into another year. There's no question about that. Carson Wentz is on a good track for that. Jared Goff is a decent game manager. So having him at the $20 million, $25 million cash mark isn't the worst thing in the world. Now, Detroit wants to do better long-term as they really start to find themselves and push towards playoff contention. So there's, a, there's probably a 51% chance he's not here and a 49% chance he is right now. But that certainly puts him in bubble category. And then we got a guy like Derek Carr here. Brand new contract, but there's a huge out after 2022. They can free up, you know, tens of millions here if he's not the guy. If they decide, look, they're in a hell of a division. They might go over the division here. It's possible. Certainly not crazy. And if the wheels really fall off here and Josh McDaniels decides, let's just start this thing from scratch. We've already got everybody else. We got to find the quarterback. If Derek Carr is the problem, the contract has the out after 2022. Then it gets guaranteed for the next two years. So it's either one or at least three. And that's why he's here. 
because there's a, a line in the sand that says there's an out right now. If the Raiders want to exercise that, they can do it. Running backs, look, I could put 40 here. You know, I did an entire running back money tears piece. There's like four guys with any kind of stability next year. A couple of them are rookies, first rounders. So, you know, Zeke's obviously going to top this list. He's one of the biggest names on this entire piece. And who knows? You know, it may be Zeke plus four other starters. If Dallas decides finally, we got to rip this thing out. We got to do it. I mean, they're uh, they're in a, a herd of trouble here after Dak's injury and after, uh, like we referenced quite a bit here in the offseason, more subtraction than addition to the point of where I didn't think they had the, the horses in the barn to get this thing done. It certainly doesn't look like that right now, but I can't even imagine that Zeke Elliott's 15 million, 16 million cash is going to stay on the books here any longer than it possibly has to after 2022. A couple of fringe guys. You know, Dalvin Cook has an out. Christian McCaffrey has an out. Derrick Henry has a big out because he just restructured money from next year into this year. But, I mean, those are basically the offenses there. You know, Dalvin Cook a little bit less than the other two. But tough to imagine those guys move, being moved on from right now in the current situation. Now, Tennessee, there's a real good chance no Tannehill rookie quarterback. You'd want Derrick Henry. But maybe not. Maybe it's we got to get younger and cheaper across the board and reset our finances and our roster at the same time. So maybe they don't extend Derrick Henry next year out of that gigantic cap hit. And maybe he's a trade candidate. Maybe he's an outright release candidate. But for, for all these reasons combined, he's a bubble player. Um, Joe Mixon, just the guarantees fell off that contract quicker than I can even you know, imagine. Chase Edmonds is a one-and-done candidate in Miami. So as you might imagine with the running backs, there's very, very little stability. You, you can think of a name out loud, and for the most part, you're going ha- to you're gonna be able to pick a guy that can, they can get out of next year. So it's kind of dealer's choice. A little less uh, of a strength position right now with the wide receivers. So many of them sign new contracts, good contracts, right? Multi-year guarantees that this list is not excellent. Michael Thomas kind of tops the list based on the contract amount. But, you know, the Saints are going to have to do a post-June 1st on that just to really have any kind of cap savings at all. There's just so much dead cap after 71 restructures and many guarantees pushed down that that's a decision they're going to probably be forced into making because they're the the Saints and they're going to be in cap hell at some point here. But not an easy one. Curtis Samuel had a good week one, but the injuries continue to pile up in Washington. Could be Wentz out, Samuel out, and some of that defense that they paid for. Adam Thielen's a nice one. Uh, I like the player. I think that's a great, great team. They're going to have to pay Jefferson next year. So do you restructure Thielen a little bit, make him happy, put him in like a Hunter Renfro situation with Devontae Adams' contract for Justin Jefferson? Possibly. But a lot of that relies on how this season goes because Cousins is guaranteed just through next year. You've got to decide how big your window of contention is in Minnesota and you know, a player like Jefferson, you're just going to sign him because he's Justin Jefferson. But Adam Thielen will be a different conversation. He'll only probably factor in if this 2022 season goes as they expect and they think they can ride it out for two more years. And then an extension makes sense for Thielen. Tyler Boyd, really similar. You know, there's a, a ton of money coming for Burrow and for, Ch- and for uh, T. Higgins and for Jamar Chase, obviously. Where's Boyd going to factor in? Is he going to be a cap casualty in order to cover some of that accounting that's going to have to happen with the rest of the offense? Possibly. Mixon, too. 
it's very possible that big, big names like this have to get pushed aside or traded away because the youth growing up is going to get really, really expensive because many of these markets were very much reset in the past couple of months here. The tight end list is big. Um, it's very similar to the running backs in terms of devaluation, uh, the need for depth in this position versus having one big superstar player. You know, a player like Tyler Higby stands out on this list for me because he's on a Rams offense that he's a part of. He's, he's, he's a producer. but you know, $9 million cap it next year that can free up six, seven of that in a post June 1st. What happens when some of these other players get forward? Now, Cooper Cup got his deal. Stafford got his deal. Donald got his deal. Ramsey's under contract, but you got to start to build some depth. And I think that's what we're concerned about with the current Rams roster as a whole is, are they too superstar heavy right now? Is there enough, enough horses in the barn for a team to take on what is it, just a massive effort to try to repeat as a Super Bowl contender? So he's going to be a, a name that's on the top of their, you know, what if list. And that's a big name. That's an important part to Matt Tafford's office right now. Gerald Everett with the Chargers, similar veteran that's kind of bounced around. He's been with good quarterbacks in the past. Can he make Justin Herbert a little bit better this year and push that Chargers team into serious division contention? Offensive line. Where's Houston going? There's a lot of Houston on here, but. Only because the contract says so, because their standings are going to say so, yada, yada, yada. But Houston may have bigger plans in mind, right? They may have a situation where they already have identified their core, whether that includes Davis Mills or not. And some of these overpriced players are there for a reason. So I'm not going to sit here and say that they're ready to, re to gut this thing all over again and use those Deshaun Watson draft picks to start brand new, although many teams would go that route. So in that case, Laramie Tunzel with a 35 million plus cap hit next year would have absolutely no chance of living, even though he's a left tackle and you want to take care of that position as much as possible. He's here because of the contract. I don't know where that franchise stands though, in terms of having big contracts amidst the rebuild. And by the way, David Bakhtiari is in a very similar situation, add on some injuries, add on Aaron Rodgers, somewhat uncertainty over the next year or two. And does he fall off the roster? Does Aaron Jones fall off the roster because A.J. Dillon's ready to take the reins? Big names here. I'm, I didn't, uh, I didn't, I wasn't scrounging for, for players to put on the bubble list this year. Let's put it that way. Like, like I said, the wide receiver list is one of the, the weaker ones, but I've got serious left tackles, Tyron Smith, Laramie Tunzel, David Bakhtiari, Taylor Lewan. You know, that's massive horsepower right there in terms of starting left tackles that they either get restructured Maybe there's a pay cut here and there, especially in the Tyron Smith situation where they, he's just been a liability for the Dallas Cowboys. But I think in some cases here, it's just going to be a rip the bandit off and start over. You know, does, do the Titans lose star running back, star quarterback, star left tackle, you know, maybe even one of the safeties as well, and, and really bring the finances from, you know, 200 million down to the 160s next year? It's possible. I would not rule that out at this stage in Tennessee's situation. Defensive line, you know, the edge rushers and those guys are getting their money, but there's some age sitting out there. Carl Lawson has been injured, hasn't really had a career yet with the Jets. Robert Quinn's had a good career with the Bears, but does he want to stick around for this Chicago situation through two seasons? Probably not. Um, Frank Clark restructured to stick around in Kansas City one more year. The cap hit is 30 for next year. That's a bubble situation. And then some. And uh, look, Deion Jones restructured and is injured in Atlanta, a team that definitely doesn't want big contracts right now. 
they can get right side up on that deal finally from a dead cap perspective next year. He's going to be out the door. Cleo Max playing well. He's showing he's showing what he can do with Joey Bosa sitting around the other side there. But big cap it next year, big cash it next year too. And he's got some early roster bonuses. So it's going to have to be a big year for the Chargers for some of these guys to stick. Austin Eckler's going to need a new contract, in my opinion. You know, maybe you, you rip up Cleo Mack's contract and just start over with it, make it more team friendly for everybody. Um, but he's going to have to show quite a bit to do that and uh, stick around with the Chargers, a young Chargers team. That's Herbert Money's coming as well. Let's not forget that. Secondary, some notables. Adoree Jackson with the Giants probably shouldn't be there now, but he's there um, and he's playing well. So he's a trade candidate with an expiring contract. Darius Slay, that Philly situation is nice. It's a crazy good contract for Darius Slay. Philly loves to restructure and, and just deal with what they have to deal with. At some point, they're not going to be able to do it with everybody. You know, the offensive line's getting older on the right side, at least, and very expensive. The defensive line is very expensive. Derek Barnett, Fletcher Cox. Darius Slay is one of the most expensive players on this roster for next year, and he's worth it. But we have seen Howie Roseman pull trades that we couldn't believe he's pulled. So I'm just going to put him here because the finances say, question mark, is he going to be one of those guys that gets tossed into a trade for a high draft pick that they go and replace him with? It's possible. Very, very possible. And uh, a couple more bears, defensively speaking. Eddie Jackson made a nice play this week, but $17 million cap next year. They can free up $13 million as a post-6-1 designation next March. So the bears going backwards, that's the kind of cap space those teams look forward to. So. I've got about 50 names here. Enjoy it. Um, like I said, this is version 1.0. There's going to be more quarterbacks. There's going to be more everybody's. And uh, by the time we get to March 15th and this thing starts all over again, we'll know a hell of a lot more about some of these teams and where they are and where they think they are and what that means for certain players across the rosters. But for now, this is stab number one at Roster Bubble Players, and it's live right now on spytrack.com. Let's talk some Major League Baseball rule changes with Cousin Dan. All right, Dan, Major League Baseball announced a new set of rules, as expected. I think mostly as expected. But before we dive in, just your general thoughts here on the process that the commissioner has basically just gone dictatorship on this one and, and pushed this through without really much consensus from, from anywhere else. Are you happy with this? This is kind of an NBA approach. Yeah, so I know there's I, – I do need to do a little bit more research on that aspect of it. Um, because some of the the rhetoric I've listened to today has sort of hinted that although you're although you're right that it was sort of like the the league went into this on their own in a way um this was collectively bargained mm-hmm. that this is the process so in, in a way like I, like do I want to say it's fair or not fair no but th- this was bargained this way that th- that rule changes could be enforced um without majority uh of the players involved. So from that aspect, I I feel, I feel a little bit conflicted in terms of how it went, but um, in terms of the actual rules being changed themselves, I'm sort of in favor of it. Even if these don't all, I mean, we'll get into the nuances of them a little bit here, but even if it on a whole, like on a whole scale, it, some of them don't work or need to be changed after the fact. I, I like that they're at least trying to be progressive and updating things from, you know, from a sport that has been reluctant to do that um, while almost every other major league around them is doing that. So um, I do, I do like it from that front. So yeah, bingo. 
the only way I can respond is things have changed and that's positive because I think if they didn't build this into the CBA and put this hard deadline on these rule changes like they did, we'd be back to square one. Nothing would be changing because that's just baseball as it is traditionalist. And there's a lot of guys out there, owners, fans, players. I've been reading player interviews here for quite some time now trying to research for this. It's a pretty mixed bag of some guys just want zero change still, even the players. And plenty of them say most of this is good. I think some's going to have to be amended. Of course it is, right? The NFL has been amending their rule changes on an annual basis here just to get this thing better. But I want to bring the NFL quickly into this, Dan, because I'm pretty sure everything that we're, we're about to talk about here with Major League Baseball is offensive minded, which is basically what the NFL did over the past decade. They made significant changes to make defense a hell of a lot harder, which pissed off a lot of people. But man, are their eyeballs watching that sport right now because the ball's flying through the air. There's a ton of points. There's blowouts in some cases, but for the most part, it's 38, you know, Eagles 38, Lions 35, you know? And uh, I think it's just all from a business model, it's better for the sport. That's what this is about, right? This is about increasing the business model of Major League Baseball and getting more eyeballs on it. So I don't know how at least with the attempt, we can really poke holes in it, you know? Yeah, I, um, I totally agree with that. And I, the best way I heard it explained, I heard Ken Rosenthal talk a little bit about it, how, and he described it as we're taking a step back so that we can actually take a step forward yeah. in the future. And I sort of like that because like the shift and all these things we're coming up are, are like, we're coming up with rules and stacking them on each other to try and fix previous issues when really we should probably simplify things, rethink the original rules and um, go from there. So I like, again, are all of these going to work a hundred percent? Is every fan and player going to like them? Obviously not, but I, I give them credit for at least kind of grasping at straws if that's what they're doing. But I mean, they're at least trying to make it work in, in the, like you said, everything is offensive minded and, um, I mean, also let's, let's just point out that these aren't blind changes necessarily. They've been tested at lower levels and, um, for the most part, it's very overwhelmingly successful. So the the pitch clock is getting the most attention because it's been in the news now for like three years, right? They, they they took a, with the COVID kind of put pause on some of it with major league, with minor league baseball, but it's been there. I've been to a few games and I've seen it in action you get used to it immediately. <laughs> I mean, immediately. In fact, you know, if you've got young kids who come to the game, it's something they actually gravitate to and start watching. It's like a, it's a gimmick that works to some degree. But also, the, game, the gameplay is markedly more efficient. Is this the biggest rule change? Because I don't believe that it is. To, to me, this is the one that's just going to be thrown in and everybody's just going to figure it out in about a week and a half. There's going to be some bumps, especially with guys who try to circumvent this thing by staying off the dirt. You know what I mean? Like being off the mound with the ball or being out of the batter's box completely and, and taking signs from the third base coach to, to kill some time. Baseball is going to have to be pretty aggressive with that and find those guys and find those teams. As, like they said, they're going to. But I think for the most part, A, young pitchers coming up are already used to this crap. And I, you and I have had this conversation offline. This is more about the batters than the pitchers here, isn't it? I think the, ba- the, the, the batteries, right? The pitcher catchers have been getting better and better every year, especially now with Pitchcom. It's the batters who step out and change their batting gloves 37 times and tap their, their spikes and you know practice their swings nine times. 
it, that's what we're really trying to work out here, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. I, I think it's such a layered question, which is why I paused. You just um, thought of nine pitchers that you can't stand to watch, right? Cause I well, just did it's too. Not, <laughs> it's not even just starters too. I really saw a good breakdown, how it's, it's really relievers. Um, yeah. and so the shift to baseball where power relievers guys are all touching almost a hundred or approaching it. Right. Um, some of that comes from rest time in between pitches where they're able to like recoup their bodies enough to, to pitch at that high of a level, um, all the time. So there's a major timing divide between starting pitchers and relievers. So we might mm. see that like dominant relievers, um, it's like dominant turbo bolt. mode in a video game. <laughs> Almost right. So like the, the fatigue should in theory set in more and there, you know, there's other three batter limits and all these other rules put in place already that I think we're going to see it have a pretty major effect, um, especially towards like relief and bullpen um, usage. But to, like to walk back to your original question in terms of gameplay, I don't necessarily think this is the biggest rule change. I think this does have major, major ramifications for um, the, like the int- the general interest in the sport, like changing the bag, changing the bag size, isn't going to excite anyone to like tune in out of nowhere. But I think a more defined game length time frame, which this pretty much is, that's what the pitch clock establishes where it's pretty consistently between two and a half hours, two hours and 45 minutes, almost every game other than like extenuating circumstances. So um, I think to bring back interest um, in the game with young kids and families, like, on a set time window at night with exciting young players. I think that has an opportunity to have like a major, major payoff in the end um, more than some of these other rule changes. But like, like you said, gameplay wise, like no one's going to sit there and like, like three years from now, no one's going to be sitting here and go, Oh man, I really didn't. I wish they didn't change this because I liked sitting here for four hours. Right. So So I I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. There's two versions of this though, too. I want to make sure that all the data is out there. There's the pitch clock during the at-bat, but there's also a 30-second clock to get to the next batter, which that's going to be big. And then maybe even bigger, 2 minutes, 15 seconds on the timer to switch pitchers or to change innings. So you're right. This is all about the TV product, the, the advertising product, and, and like you said, the in-game product, which is if we can get this thing down to 245 in terms of a, an average game, that's a home run. It's a total slam dunk. So there's a lot to it. it I don't want to get too down in the weeds of things I hate and want to change already, but I do want to throw this out there because it's going to be infuriating when, you know, this happens with Taiwan Walker and in the NLDS and I'm throwing myself, you know, off a cliff next year. Do you think that a, a pitch cock infraction should, should equal ball four? Or strike three. I think uh, so. That's kind of the w- one variable of this that makes me a little uneasy about it. Like we we do we've seen some of the videos like from the minor leagues where these guys that hadn't been exposed to that rule yet get called up, punched out on a sh- called strike three that the pitch didn't even get thrown and it ends the game, something like that. So I think that that's going to bring in some some issues early on and potentially I I think that's an issue that will get 
rectified pretty quickly. I think the playoff thing changes things though, right? I like all, all of this in a playoff scenario where so much is on the line and every pitch hit was going to be a minute question. Do you think it should exist in the playoffs? Yeah, I, I, that would be my argument is to like, is to get rid of it in the playoffs. If, if we're going to go that route, right. Or at least be way more lenient or extend the time frame. maybe still have a limit, but extend those limits. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's th- that part of it is hard for me knowing like how long the baseball season is, uh, how hard it, well, formerly hard it was to make, to win your division, win a wild card spot, get through the wild card game into an actual playoff series. Um, I don't really like, you know, cutting these teams and players off at the knees from that perspective. Like we're trying to kind of speed up the regular season, which feels like a marathon uh, rather than, than get through on um, playoffs. But, but, but again, the playoff games are kind of ridiculous too, when they start at eight o'clock and go till one in the morning. So yeah, um, yeah. some people might be on the other side thinking that the playoffs are the ones that actually need this role. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's a different, that, that's going to be up for debate in terms of these uh, rules going forward for sure. As a former gym class hero catcher, have the catchers been violating this in the past to where they had to be written into this rule? I mean, I, I feel like I watch enough baseball and I can't even, I can't even envision a catcher who stalls and isn't ready and trying to get the signs down or, or, or work in the pitch comp for the pitcher. But the, pit, yeah. the, the catcher has to be set in the dirt with nine seconds left on the timer or there's going to be a violation ball. Is this something you think that was necessary or are they just doing it to, co- to cover all their bases here? I mean, who's the blame for that rule? I like, I, I think a lot of the times the catcher is trying to put the pitcher in the best situation. So stalling could be from that um, frame of mind, but I, I don't, I'm, I don't typically think, you know, if a catcher wants to move and go quickly or sorry, if a pitcher wants to move and go quickly, his catcher, like you said, his catcher's not going to, you know, purposely stall out of, you know, out of comfort or recovery on his part. So yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I think that just is like a CY all aspects thing, you know? So in other words, you envision that the catchers would be stalling so that the pitch clock didn't start for the pitcher. And so they're building that into this. Sure. Sure. Yep. All right. All right. Let's switch. You mentioned the base sizes. This is something that has not been tested to my knowledge. Maybe it has been in like grapefruit league or something, but I haven't heard of it. Um, I mean, the only way to look at this with larger bases is that it's a shorter distance to go from first to second, second to third which to me equals stolen bases, which as a big fantasy guy that you are, right? This is going to change a hell of a lot of people's mindsets, right? You're, are we going to go back to 40, 50 stolen bases now with some of these top, top echelon players? Yeah, so I have, I have seen a little bit of data that suggests that this has not improved stolen base numbers like immensely at lower levels um, that it has. Been, I think it's been tested in like the, I, I need to look at that too. I think it's been like in indie ball or something mm. like that. I don't know if it was an actual lower level minor, but um, that studies have been done. It doesn't at, at face value, it might not have a huge impact, but like from like an, I know better perspective, I think it's going to have a massive mm-hmm. um, uh, change. Uh, it really it's, it's the, it's all of those rules combined. It's the bigger base sizes. It's the second base moving slightly closer towards home base. Um, plus the pickoff, the, the disengagement the, the, rule. The, yeah. Let's get to it. Yeah. I think it's the biggest change out there. I really do. Dan, let's go ahead. Why don't you break it down for us and then, and then roll it into the stolen base conversation if you don't mind. Well, it, it's basically if a, 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 any pitcher has two attempts at a pickoff, per 
base runner at a specific base, right? So leadoff hitter goes to first base. He can attempt to pick off twice on the third pickoff attempt. If he so tries to make a third pickoff attempt, if the player dives back and is safe, sorry, not ruled out on the pickoff attempt, it's, it's deemed a balk and that player would get the bag. Right. And now on that third attempt, the pitcher can actually pick that player off and he would still be out. But if the player does not, is not naturally out on the play, it's, it's a, technically a balk and he goes and by second. The way, so it's important to say this. It's not just two throwovers. It's two, it's two step off engagements. So it's two disengagements from the rubber. So for instance, if, you know, Chris Bassett, a guy who does this quite a bit, if he just steps off, Yes, it resets the pitch clock. So you're going to have guys doing that because they need to reset the pitch clock because the, the, the catcher and, and the pitcher are just down, not on the same page. But that's one disengagement, even though there wasn't a throw over. So now he only has one more safe throw over to that runner on first or second. Uh, so it's going to change a lot. It's going to change the, the philosophy between the pitcher and the catcher. It's going to change the pitcher's mindset. And then to, to where we want to get to here, there's a hard and fast yes or no now after two throwovers for that runner at first base or runner at second base. So there's going to be essentially an extra half step to guys trying to steal that base because they know 99% of the time there's not going to be a disengagement from that pitcher. They can get that extra jump. I just have to imagine this is going to ramp up stolen base. It has to. Yeah, I, I definitely think it will too. Um, in conjunction with all the rules, all the other rules too. So um, and two, I think this counteracts a little bit of like with the robo um stuff, which is a whole nother conversation, but there's been mm -hmm. a little bit of suggestion that a defensive catcher, there will be a little bit less emphasis on that. This will kind of bring that back. If now That's you right. need your catcher, um, you know, maybe they don't need to receive well, but they need to, you know, they need to have a good jump, a good pop time. They have to have a strong arm, accurate arm. Like they're that's going to be uh, brought into focus a little bit more as the other, maybe some of the other skills that traditional catchers um, might have. Uh, get, yeah, get with, relaxed with robo umps, this might be the catcher's primary mindset. Catch right, and throw. Right. <laughs> yeah, you might just get a totally different toy, type of athlete back there. Just guys with cannon arms who are athletic. Sure. And, um, you know, you, so it, now pitch com, there's less like with signs and, mm -hmm. you know, communication, all that stuff. So. Um, yeah, I, I like, I like that all these things are sort of happening instead of just like a slow bleed because year by year rule changes tend to like have a, give us bad gut reactions. And then, you know, we can kind of fall into, to bad assumptions then, you know? Yeah. I, look, my concern with this, with kind of these first two or three here that we've talked about, and we'll get to the shift in a second, which is equally as big is if team slash players aren't prepared if a lot of things go wrong with this and we see a lot of you know pitchers screw this up and guys taking extra bases for free or like like you, you and i mentioned a free ball or a free strike just comes up if, if a lot of this is happening especially in april right when, when the season's starting it's going to be all people are talking about and it's going to be a garbage look for major league baseball so my my only hope is that Everybody figures this thing out so that it's, yeah, there's going to be mistakes, but that for the most part, it works out because if it doesn't, because uh, honestly, Dan, my biggest takeaway, I didn't even give my big takeaway here with all these rule changes. My big takeaway is that there's so many, I can't believe they're doing this many at one time. And that's right. my biggest fear is that we get to April and it's just a freaking circus of chaos 
because not many of these teams, what if it's a new manager with new pitching coach and they just haven't established the right relationship with the pitchers to, to properly prepare for it for them. You know, Hey, if you're down to eight seconds, don't even bother throwing over. You know what I mean? You got to get this thing to the plate, all that little minutia that's going to get built into this. I'm just worried for the game that a, yes, these are good changes, but is throwing six of them this big at one time really going to make 2023 a nightmare. I'm worried for that. Uh, let's get to the, Let's get to the shifts, man, because I, I did not see this one coming. I thought they were going to build in some sort of, I don't know, preamble to mitigating the shifts, but not completely saying we're done with them. I'm shocked that they went this far. Do you, is this good for baseball, in your opinion? I mean, you watch as much as I do. I'm, I'm, I was kind of getting used to them. And by the way, I read a great quote from your, uh, your manager, Terry Francona, who basically said, who basically said, not so much that he loves the shifts, but and, and you're going you're gonna to be able to read these words out of my mouth before I even say them. But basically, why are we, why are we giving in to guys that can only hit the ball to one place? Like the, the fact that this rule now exists is basically saying, well, we know Giancarlo Stanton can't go to left field, but we're going to make it a little easier for him just in case because we want to make sure that there's not three infielders over there trying to knock down his 150-mile-an-hour ground ball through second base and, and shortstop. Um, he basically said, hitters should be able to evolve. The game shouldn't have to evolve in this regard. I, I don't disagree, but at the same time, it irks me to, to see that the, form, the formations are, have become so discombobulated. Just uh, where are you with this? And did you, did you see this one coming this quickly? Yeah, I'm with you. I thought they would take little steps and sort of inch. This is the most drastic um, change by far and quite honestly like i think it has the biggest potential to be a complete shit show in april yeah. like where guys line up like I, from what i understand there's going to be no markings on the field so is that just the umpire's perspective of the shortstop not being you can review it which is the worst can you imagine I, I so, a, is his foot on the dirt review i'm already no. cringing no and I've like heard some suggestions. We might get like a Canadian football type of thing where <laughs> like, the play, well, yeah, like, no, no, no. Like where a shortstop stays on the left side of oh. second base for the pitch to start, but s starts r sprinting towards the other side. That's once literally the pitch me in bar league softball, by the way. Oh my God. So I can't like, if, if we're, if we're getting to a point where we're going to keep trying to like circumvent that, that part of it, and that's what it's going to look like. I think that's going to be embarrassing for everybody involved. Um, like I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of conflicted. I, I, from like a talent perspective, I do agree. Like I'd like to see players be able to like, like, why are we giving into the more one dimensional hitter? But also I think I'm, I'm so sick of the conversation of every time that the shift mm -hmm. happens for somebody to just say, well, why doesn't that player go down the line? Like go the other way. It's <laughs> way, way more complicated that in almost every, every circumstance. So, um, I, I'm on the side of not liking this rule because I, I think it's too dramatic. Like getting to your point just before this about like, maybe this is going to be a little, there's going to be some shock factor uh, with like the normal MLB fan. I think this is going to be a one that people have a hard time getting, getting their brains around and not to mention like they had to, the way they had to construct this rule is also going to detract from the, the way a normal second baseman would stand at his position or yeah a shortstop playing 
a lot of shortstops start on the grass and take a step forward onto the dirt. So that's going to change things. Like, I don't really know that this one might be a little too much for me of, of any of the rules. I genuinely like that they are trying, but this is one that like, it's going to stay in the conversation. Uh, whereas the other changes, like we're going to not really notice them as a part of our like day-to-day watching. I have a feeling that the conversation surrounding the shift and limiting it is, is here to stay for, for a while. I heard Jeff passing today say that one of the ways that teams may try to circumvent this, these rules is if you've got a, a pull only left-hander up, teams are just going to pull their left fielder into short right field and just not have a left fielder. Right. And I have no doubt teams are going to find a way around this, right? That's why it's going to be a cat and mouse chase. And I feel like that's where testing this, testing these rules at the lower levels helps a lot because, but I guess maybe they're not trying to like cheat the system as much down there where they're just developing players. I'm not sure. I haven't thought about that, that part of it enough, I guess, but I I think this one is, this one is going to be, this one's going to be well. Tough. If you own Corey Seager or Kyle Tucker in Dynasty Baseball, you're happy. Yeah, I saw Did that. Did you see this tweet? The, I, yeah, the Corey Seager stat. Yeah. Corey Seager has hit into 90 ground ball line drives that shifts have accounted for to get him out this year that wouldn't have been there if there was a shift ban. So that's basically 90 base hits sitting on Corey Seager's lap right now. Yeah, the more shocking one is who is second, isn't it? Like six, he's like sixty percent more than the second. Pl- Ninety, t- uh, Corey Seager, sixty-six, Kyle Tucker. Corey Seager, yeah, which is can't stop hitting into the shift. He loves it's it. It's insane. It's <laughs> not even close. <laughs> um, I'm with you. I, I, this one threw me off that it was that it was this cut and dry. It's just gone. I, I was I did not see that one coming. Um, <laughs> let's get to some of the silly ones. The, the batter's walk-up music cannot exceed 10 seconds. Did you see that one? Yeah. All right. So you're trying to make the game better and then not as fun? What are we doing here? Is yeah, this, I don't is really this going any... to account for uh, relief pitcher walk-in songs too? Right, because and who are you? It's literally the entire Mets season right now. <laughs> and who are, you, who are you punishing with that? Like, is the, is the lowly, like, media... Like PA control announcer, like going to get suspended or something? Like, what are they like? I don't even know the inner workings of that, but it doesn't really seem like Hmm. something like the player is sitting there snipping a clip, sending it in, saying, I want this 15 seconds played, right? (laughs) Right, right. It's some intern doing its job. You know, at some point in time, they get some some feedback about it. I mean, what are we doing here? Yeah, that's a little bit. Again, we didn't need 19 new rules. We probably only needed three here. Um, which of these rules scares you the most? Is it the shifts? Yeah, the shifts. I like the other ones. Um, the, the, and I, I, mate, well, the shift could totally surprise me. I just, this is one I feel like next winter meeting, they kind of look in the mirror and go, let's rethink that one a little bit. And, and maybe they take a step back on that one. But I, the other ones I think genuinely are going to have, um, I mean, the pitch clock is going it, to, it's, it's going to be just another part of your day-to-day watching. You're not even going to notice it after a while. Um, and the base stuff is just going to encourage uh, more stuff to happen. Now, like the stolen base stuff, if, if we have like 20 guys who are stealing 80 bags and like singles, you know, like should we place an emphasis on more singles instead of just guys get, getting a single and walking down to second base essentially? 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's a little galaxy brain there, but um, yeah, no, I like everything except the shifts. Do you know the penalty if a team violates a shift during an at bat? Um, I don't. It's a, it's the offensive team's choice between take the play or a ball. In other words, they've accounted for your, as soon as the pitcher starts to go home, the shortstop runs to the right and, and plays second, second base. Mm. Meaning the violation occurs throughout the entire play. And if the umpire deems that a violation has happened, he goes to the offensive manager and says, which would you like to take? Would you like to take? It's basically like a, a you know, a holding call in football. You decline, accept. So they can take the play as is, or they have, or it's just simply a ball and we, we go back to the bat. So again, how many times is that going to slow the game down? How many times, you know what I mean? Like, are right. we reviewing this? Are we going back and forth on this? Does the manager have to sit there for 30 seconds and figure out what he wants to do? You know, if it was a sacrifice play, is it the best just to take the play? Again, they got real complicated here. They got very nerdy baseball on us here. And I, and I think there's just too much built into this. Um, and by the way, you can challenge a shift violation. So, so after the umpires figure out what their call is, the other team can then challenge what the umpires just figured out. We can have a five minute violation discussion about shifts in the middle of the game. So yeah, let's keep these games rolling as fast as possible. Right. Good call. Yeah. I'm, I'm worried as hell about that one. Yeah. Um, anything else you think they missed? You watch a lot of baseball. Are you good with pitch comp? We haven't really talked about that. And then, by the way, that kind of snuck up on us. Kind of just started happening. <clears throat> yeah, I, I have no issue with Pitchcom. I think the reason I have no issue with it is because it's a use it or don't use it. It's No one's like saying every team needs to use this. But I mean, maybe these rule changes will encourage using it because of like the length of time. And people will say, well, they're discriminating against the guys who don't want to use it. Like maybe that comes into play, but like, I mean, we even saw rule change. Like that was a simple rule change. And they said, use it or don't use it. And some guys used it and said, Hey, I love it. Others said, I don't really like it. Others said no chance. Am I ever going near that? So it's like, I I don't really know what to think about. I have no issue with it though. Especially if it speeds things up and improves communication. Yeah. Um, over under two years before an NL Central or AL West team has a 30 for 30 about them hacking Pitchcom. <laughs> <laughs> um, Come on, it's coming. It'll be over because it'll be just before the next CBA has to be uh, <laughs> negotiated. Uh, uh, you know what they you know what they really need to address in baseball is the number of times a coach can go out to the mound okay. for his pitcher. No, I'm just kidding. I'm okay. just kidding. Mound visits. Are we good on that one? I am. Oh my! I mean, I think it has. I think it's a joke rule still. The fact that they ever thought it was going to improve the pace of game the game is yeah. I think it's laughable. Like, does anyone, does it ever even come into play remotely? I mean. Okay, then I'll, let's finish on this. Is the um, amount of pitchers that are pitching in a game still a problem? Or do you think that the three batter rule and the mound visits and things like that, do you think that's addressed that enough? Are, are we at a good spot with that? Because we're not, we're not even 18 months removed from you and I having a conversation here talking about how starting pitchers might be dead. 
I feel like that's gone. I feel like we're back to a very traditional style here. Yeah, I would. I personally want to reserve judgment until we see how the pitch clock stuff changes, how relievers operate, because I feel like a lot of the slowdown is with relievers, right? Um, most starters, you know, outside of like the David Wells types who just want to like milk it in between pitches. Most of those guys want to move or get into some rhythm. I feel like we get slowed down when relief pitchers start coming in and work extra mm. slow, especially with guys on base, um, that kind of thing. So I am fine with how it is right now. Like, you know, the, <clears throat> the three batter minimum or finish an inning. Um, and I, I kind of want to see how these two work in conjunction. Um, if not, I'd, I, I really, I have no issue with the, the current rule. How it is. Our team's going to load up on speed this off season. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a valid question. Uh, <laughs> or do you think they're going to have to wait a year to see how it works? Yeah. I don't know if everyone's going to just like move in, you know, unilaterally in one direction. Um, I do think, the Cleveland model of high OBP type of guys mm -hmm. with less, with less focus on um, power is going to come more into play when you can steal bases more easily. So I do think that is going to kind of catch a little steam here, maybe to the point where like too many teams do it, that it's like not unique anymore, but um, yeah, I, I, I have trouble thinking people are just going to like te these organizations are going to like sell out to move towards like some high speed model, you know? I think more will than you think, because yeah. I think this is, yeah, I, I really do. I think the advantages are all in, on in that regard. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can still load up on home runs. That's still going to be how many of these teams win their games. But to me, the, the deck, the, the deck is stacked heavily against pitching here, heavily and catching. Yeah. And uh, do you know what else we, I want to mention? Cause I love it. And I'm, it's the Keith Hernandez in me coming out. <laughs> but I mean, hit and runs are coming back, baby. Hit and, hit and runs are all in now because not only is it, let's say there's been two disengagements from the pitcher. If it's a speedster on first base or even an above average, you know, running guy. Now the pitcher and the catcher are thinking, oh, he's probably going. He's probably going right now because he's got an advantage. He's got that extra half step, which to me, if I'm the batter, I'm thinking fastball. Got to get that ball to the plate as quickly as possible, especially with the bigger bases. So everybody's got an advantage now on the offensive side. So to me, this is all about hit and run. This is all about get that guy in motion and get the, get the ball down. You know, the shift would have helped a little better on that. But, you know, uh, I do think that's coming back. And that's a big thing for some of these teams that can actually hit the ball and not just try to hit it out of the park. Yeah, for sure. And those are the kind of like indirect effects that no one can really nail everything. And even the league, they don't even know exactly all the ramifications these rule changes are going to make. Um, but yeah, it's little things like that, that I think, um, people who had like a snap judgment to this, uh, you know, freaked out because they're traditionalists and don't want any rule changes. I think like the but game it, will improve in a lot of subtle it should ways. get back to more traditional baseball. Yes. Yeah. But For they the don't want to, yeah. they don't want to, they don't want to acknowledge that that's the route to get back. <laughs> Change is awful. Good stuff, man. <laughs> Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right, my thanks to Dan. Always great talking baseball, especially as we head towards the home stretch here, right? I'm excited for the rule changes, though. I think a lot of those conversations I had there with Dan got me more excited than I thought I was going to be. I, I am worried about the collaboration of things, though, and 
pitchers not knowing what the hell the rules are and coaches making mistakes, and it happens. But, you know, I don't want it to be a negative, a more negative situation for Major League Baseball in terms of the fans tuning out because there's just chaos happening on the field. So hopefully these things work out for the better. I think some of them are certainly going to quicken these games up, which is good for TV, good for advertising, good for the average fan. And we'll see what happens with the rest of this, the larger bases and the stolen bases and all that good stuff. Uh, thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track right now. Get 40% off that first year subscription and dive into everything that they have to offer for you. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. Oh,